Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to a table talk, a conversation on race. It's good to be with everybody on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Today is August 9th, 2023. But you may be listening to this at another time through our podcast or through our videos. And so we're very excited that you joined us for our conversation. Uh, my name is Erwin Lopez, and I'm the co-chair of the Beloved Community Leadership Team, which works alongside the Bishop's Anti-Racist Task Force. And we've been recording these podcasts for a little over a year. And our goal with these podcasts is to bring awareness to the anti-racism work in the Florida Conference, to equip you, especially as you're integrating anti-racism into your lives and into your ministries. And most importantly, we do this work because we believe this is an act of discipleship. This is how we love God and we love neighbor. So today we're going to be having a conversation with David Williamson, Pastor David Williamson. He is the co-chair of the Public Policy and Witness Team for our conference. And he's also the co-lead pastor at Grace United Methodist Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Um, and today we're going to have a conversation with him, and he's going to update us on the work of the public policy team. And so, David, thank you so much for your time. And so tell us what's been going on in the conference work, and um, we're excited to hear about it. The floor is yours. Thanks, everyone. Grateful to be here together with you and all the folks listening in. Um, yeah, the Florida Conference public policy and witness anti-racism team. It's a mouthful and the, the heartbeat of that work is really to recognize the ways in which uh, racism uh, shows up and functions through public policies um, and the ways in which that has happened historically and the way that continues to happen. Oftentimes, uh, without using these days anyway, like overtly racist language, they, it's um, it's kind of seems subtle in the way that that the impact of these policies uh, take place. So, um, over the last two three years in in Florida, we've just been paying attention to different policies that have a negative impact, particularly on communities of color and on the work of of anti racism. Um, and this last, uh, actually a year ago, the, the session uh, passed a policy uh, called on individual freedom is one, one name for it. Some people call it the anti-woke uh, law. And this, this particular policy um, in the name of individual freedom uh, limits the freedom of business owners and educators and what they can teach around um, around racism and around the way that uh, racism functions in our in our uh, businesses and amongst our employees and in our in our life. And so we really wanted to educate people about what this policy said and so that people can make decisions for themselves about how they might respond. And so we hosted some some different uh, community gatherings uh, virtually. Uh, for people to learn about the content of that policy and taught people how they can make contact with their elected leaders uh, and to have uh, find their own voice in, in the ways that they would um, be able to respond to that policy and uh, let their lawmakers know uh, their opinion on that. So that's that's kind of the, the general um, overview of what we're doing, looking at how racism functions in the, the institutional level, uh, which does not, of course, um, 
discount the way in which racism functions in our in our personal thinking and attitudes and beliefs or our interactions with other people interpersonally or even how it functions in our culture in general um, just recognizing that racism functions in so many uh, different levels and but this particular uh, or group in, in the public policy and witness team really focuses on that that institutional and policy making level great so most of your uh, work has been to create community conversations virtually to educate people on the anti-woke law the individual freedom act correct right that that was uh in 2021 um there there's another policy this past session in in 2022 uh that was focused on state university systems and what um state universities could require or not require in terms of their hiring of employees as it relates to uh, diversity equity and inclusion work and so um that particular bill is uh it was senate bill 266 and it was passed and signed into law and is is also being uh, challenged in in the courts as well uh because of the way in which it um it limits the voices of people whose livelihood was connected to teaching diversity equity and inclusion uh in state university systems so there's some challenges around it and at the same time we we still wanted people to know what that policy said and what its impact would be and essentially uh, what it does is is it um it defines diversity equity and inclusion work as a left wing political indoctrination and agenda uh which is pretty strong language um that I, of course, disagree with because, um, you know, I, you know, honestly, Erwin, the analogy I use is uh, is thinking about the church and recognizing the way in which the church has historically um, gotten it wrong at times and needed reformation and correction about how we um, go about our work of of making disciples and. There's been there's been seasons of life historically in the church where the church was uh, oppressive and exclusive uh, of women um, and of people of color, supported slavery, and uh, we recognized that for what it is and repented of it and turned in a new direction. What we did not do is say the church needs to be canceled. It needs to be. Um, uh, banned as it were uh so while i have no doubt that uh, there are versions of diversity equity and inclusion teaching that may even overtly try to recruit people for left-wing political agendas i want to say that that is certainly not true of all dei work and to to cancel dei work entirely or to throw it out entirely to me is a very sad thing and not helpful for our our society it's not helpful for particularly people who love jesus and want to follow him and 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 um uh, build a community across uh, cultural differences which i believe jesus came to show us how to do so for us as followers of jesus i think it's really concerning that um 
there would be laws that would ban the the opportunity uh, to have education about building inclusive community diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, just by simply naming it as all one-sided uh, left-wing political agenda. I just would disagree with that. So we just try to help people understand what's going on, you know, with the with what the legislators doing, and uh, to equip them to speak up and um, make their make their opinions known to their elected leaders. Um, and it, it again, like you said earlier on, this is a way that we love Jesus. Um, uh, sometimes there's criticism that, well, the church is getting too involved in politics. And um, what I say to that is that um, uh, politics is just one realm in which we either love our neighbor or do harm to our neighbor. Uh, policies actually make a difference in how people access uh, goods and services and opportunity. And uh, when policies limit goods, access and opportunity to certain groups of people, uh, followers of Jesus should be concerned because that's the way we're, we're, we're actually not loving our neighbor well uh, through public policy. So it's, it's not about trying to recruit people to a certain political party. Um, you know, the public policy and witness team is not advocating for the Republican Party or the Democratic Party in any way. We are, we are simply... Um, paying attention to how public policies impact communities of color, especially. And uh, when, when we see a negative impact, we have to raise our voice about that. I love, I love all that you shared, David. Thank you so much. Um, I want to ask you a question. What is your wish list in terms of a leader, a pastor of a church? If you, if, if you could get every congregation member to blank, almost like a step-by-step, -step, like first thing you want them to do is attend one of these educational informational service um, sessions. The second thing you want them to do is X, Y, Z. So what is your wish list? What do you wish every single person in your church was doing to be active in this, in this policy work? Yeah, I, I would say, um... I mean, I'm kind of biased in that the approach that I use is uh, is one that teaches a certain framework that helps me to be open to cultural differences of all kinds and to make contact with difference um, and to have the capacity to hold uh, contact with difference when I'm feeling afraid or when I'm getting angry is those emotional experiences sometimes hijack the process. I find that people withdraw or distance themselves from the work of building beloved community because of such emotional, intense emotional uh, feelings. So what I would say is um, think about what it is that your next step is in the work. Some people are just starting out. Some people are been in it a long time. They're exhausted. They're tired. They need to figure out a way to stay engaged, uh, to care for themselves and find community that can help you do that. Um, this is one of the reasons why I'm committed to hosting, you know, you're hosting these great uh, table talks on Wednesdays. I'm committed to hosting what we call community conversation on Tuesdays at, at noon. And then another group <clears throat> similar to that, but a little bit different on Wednesdays at five uh, called Building Beloved Community. And basically what those groups do is it's almost like a support group for people that really uh, want to do the work of building beloved community as as an act of discipleship 
and they want uh, tools to help them do that, uh, to find their voice in that work, um, to build capacity and strength in that work, um, and to really be a part of the good work that Jesus wants to do to transform the world, uh, to help us all uh, do the work of peace with justice. So in those sessions uh, that when we meet, it's virtually and in person, uh, and we provide education, uh, again, about some, some tool or, or aspect of, of how oppression and change functions and give people a chance to try those things on and practice them together um, and, and then celebrate successes, uh, little large ones and small ones and, and victories along the way, uh, which we need uh, to stay engaged in the work. Because uh, this is hard work. I mean, I just this one of the practices we do, we call it check-in. And it's a chance for, for us to show up in the space to share what it is that's going on inside of us right now. You might even think about that for yourself as you're listening to this. What is going on inside of you right now? Are you holding a lot of sadness? Are you holding anxiety? Are you are you feeling some just anger uh, at a boundary that's been crossed or injustice that has been done? And my question to you is where where do you go with with that emotional information? Um, how do you care for yourself when you're feeling those feelings? Because again, what what I find happens is in the midst of those intense feelings, if we don't have an outlet to to share them and move through them and to get what we need in the midst of them, then it's where burnout happens. It's where people give up. It's where we harm ourselves and other people. Uh, so this these contexts of Tuesdays and, and Wednesday nights uh, is, is a bit of a support group, quite frankly, for people who want to do this work in an ongoing way. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. Just care for yourself and the work. Find a group that where, where you can take your next step. That would be my first advice. I think that's great advice. You know, one of the things that I've been a part of, I've been part of this triad of people through this racial trauma cohort and finding that community is so important because this work is very isolating and honestly you could you feel like you're the only one doing this work and you look around and you see things from a different perspective and you're wondering does anybody else see what i see and what i found in these groups is that it's a safe space where it's it's more normalized in these spaces than they are in other spaces. So I feel a little more normal, <laughs> you know? So yeah, join, find a community, take your next step, take care of yourself. I love that advice. Um, let's talk a little bit um, about, a little bit more about the policy work. And I'm just wondering if you can briefly summarize some of the discussions you've been having in these information sessions on the anti-woke law, maybe some misconceptions, yeah. Um, and, you know, just maybe a little summary of, of the law and why it's important for us to be involved. Right. Yeah. So the the one that the law that was passed called the anti-woke law, it was House Bill 7. And it's also called the Individual Freedom Act. Um, and it was in addition to it amends the Florida Civil Rights Act statute. Um, and it uh, it says, and I have it right in front of me here, at least the, the core of it, it says, um, 
It consists of eight concepts that cannot be incorporated into any mandatory instruction. So uh, for an employer uh, or for a school, uh, public school institution, they cannot make any of these things mandatory instruction. And the first one says, you cannot teach that members of one race, color, national origin, or sex are morally superior to members of another race, color, national origin, or sex. And for that one, we're like, yeah, that's right. There is no better than, less than dynamic based on race. The second one is a person by virtue of his or her race, color, national origin, or sex uh, is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously, and you cannot teach that. And so what, what that's getting at is um, the criticism of some DEI work that would, that would say, because I'm white, because I'm a man, I am going to be inherently racist and sexist. And that's just who I am because I'm white and I'm, and, and I'm a man. And uh, so what I would say to that is that I'm, I'm not inherently racist or sexist. I am a culturally formed being. I am a socialized person. I learn consciously and, un and unconsciously what it means uh, to live in this body that I that I inhabit uh, in the world, and um, to ignore that reality of cult being a culturally formed person or a socialized person, um, and to ignore the the way in which whiteness and maleness in this case have historically. Uh, statistically uh, been reasons for, for me to have access and opportunity that someone who would be a black woman, for example, uh, uh, in our society is different. It's just different. And so the invitation that I give people is pay attention to the difference of people's experience uh, who are culturally different from yourself without a sense of attack, shame, or blame, right? Because there's another uh, bullet in this in this policy that speaks to, um, you know, that um, let's see, I don't know which one it is here. Yes, the second to last bullet. So bullet number seven in the policy says. You can't teach that a person by virtue of his or her race, color, sex, or national origin bears personal responsibility for and must feel guilt, anguish, or other forms of psychological distress because of actions in which a person played no part committed in the past by other members of the same race, color, national origin, or sex. So um, is this is uh, basically um, saying that um, you can't teach someone like me who's white and male that I need to feel bad for the history of, of how white men have created policies that have excluded black people in our country. And while I, I don't think the goal of anti-racism education is to make people feel psychological distress or guilt or anguish, I certainly don't want to um, say that the work uh, is easy, right? For me, um, 
learning this history has been painful um, and embarrassing in some cases because I'm learning more about what my ancestors did and family members of mine that I'm not proud of, right? And what what I'm what I'm doing in my own journey is is not canceling them out or calling them evil or uh, dehumanizing them for what they did. Um, I'm simply at this point disagreeing with what they did uh, while remaining a part of that same family tree, right? Like it's um, it's recognizing a lot in a lot of ways who our ancestors were biblically. You know, I mean, if you read the Bible, you're going to see things that you're not going to be proud of as far in terms of how you belong to the people of God. And and it doesn't mean we just cancel our relationship with them. It, to me, it really means that I, I recognize my humanity in this case. And I say, uh, okay, God, so what can I do better uh, moving forward? How can I uh, do better working for peace with justice to, to build beloved community? And I look at that, that place of, be it uh, regret or guilt or, or shame or whatever it might be that I might experience as a a generative and holy space. So I, I, I invite people to think of, of discomfort in this work as a space where God is, is very present, uh, doing God's work in us. And so for a policy to um, make it illegal for people to abide in those places where they might feel some psychological distress or discomfort or anguish, you know, I, I don't think that's helpful. Um, it's, I look at it almost like you now have legal backing to avoid the good work of healing that is so needed in our personal lives and in our communities. So it's one of the things that makes me so sad about this particular policy. Um, so those are two examples that come from that particular policy. Uh, great, Irwin, great. A lot of time here on going through all of them, but um, yeah. No, that's great. Give us a little snippet of Kind of what you do in these sessions you go through some line by line and discuss them and get people educated on it that's great a couple more questions for you david one of them is oh because i was thinking besides getting involved in some of the policy work are there other ways that churches can i would say educate people um for example i'm thinking uh, during summer we hosted a racial trauma retreat and we were reading Grandmother's Hands, which is a book by a resume mannequin talking about uh, racialized trauma. And it wasn't a there wasn't a great attendance. I think we had two students who were coming. And so I'm thinking, should I have changed the perspective and maybe led a class on the theology of Martin Luther King? Something that's more accessible for somebody who's listening to the language that we use that's been politicized and they're less likely to go. Um, are there ways that we can write our governors, but also get the church involved in leading book studies or having conversations or being involved in these beloved community works? Have we thought about that? Things that we can do beyond the, inspired by the policy work, but beyond the policy work. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I love that. Um, you know, reading a book like My Grandmother's Hands, uh, we, we, did, we did a book study uh, on Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited. Uh, which is an excellent uh, way to recognize how 
the church has treated Jesus differently, you know, depending on the church that you've been in. Uh, and sometimes the church has used Jesus as justification to to hold on to power over other people. And uh, Jesus has been understood and, and uh, embraced very differently by uh people without that kind of power and how uh, Jesus is there to bring liberation. So anyway, the, the, the book studies like that are excellent ways to invite people in and get people engaged. Um, and I would say, whether it be you got two people coming or whether you got five or 15 people coming, just start with where you are. Um, you know, start with where you are. Well, I think you've given us a great update on the policy work, on, on the work of the of the team. I hope that people get engaged. And one question for you, David, I have a couple more questions for you. But one of them is, how do they get in contact with you? Is there a space for people to join the public policy and witness team? Um, if somebody's listening to this and says, okay, I need to call David, I need to get involved, how do they do that? Yes, so you can reach me uh, at david at gracesaintaugustine.org. And it's uh, Grace St. Augustine. It's ST, no period, uh, augustine.org, gracestaugustine.org. So that's my email address. Um, if you want to call me, I'd be glad to call or, call or text me, 407-415-7850. And I'd be glad to um, have you come and sit in on a policy and witness team meeting. Um, if you want to, if you want to be a part of the one in your district, because every district is also tasked with uh, having a, a, a public policy and witness team, be glad to support you there and collaborate with you on the work you're doing in your district. Um, if you are looking for a, a support group for this work in an ongoing way, I uh, would love for you to come on Tuesdays. We, I'll send you the Zoom link. I send out a, an email prompt every Monday. Um, that has the information we're going to address on Tuesdays. Um, yeah, and any, any way I can support you, that's that's what I would love to do. Um, Great. David is here as a resource, and um, make sure you reach out to him if you have any questions and if you want to get involved, because um, this kind of leads me to my next, my final question, and it's a, a question, David, about observations. As you've been doing this work for how many years now have you been involved in this work? Uh, really intentionally, I'd say five years. Okay, about five years. What are your observations in terms of engagement? Almost just asking the simple question, how is it going? Um, what, what kind of people are involved in this work? What, do we have a strong Florida United Methodist presence involved in this work? Um, what does Generation Z look like? Are they involved in this work? So if you take some time to reflect and observe, can you share with some, some findings in terms of the engagement? Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've found that there's moments where due to circumstances in life, people, their pain level increases and they they want to do this more. And, and at other times when, like I mentioned earlier, 
the emotional gravity of the work sometimes uh, has caused people to pull back. And um, I mean, I feel that in my own in my own being as well. So I ha I have to think in, about um, what approach can I use to stay engaged for the long term? And uh, I know I cannot be super intense all the time. You know, there have been times when the work has been super intense and there needs to be times where we incorporate rest into the work as well for ourselves. And so I've noticed that that, that rhythm has been important uh, to pay attention to. Um, as far as age groups of people, I've I've seen really a lot of different age groups. We um, recently we held a a four day training event that that had high school students, college students, uh, people uh, in their twenties, and you know, and pretty much every every generation was represented in that room. Um, and so I find that people of all generations are interested in how to build beloved community and do the work of anti-racism at the four levels. Um, and as far as connecting with people about the work, um, you know, if you're looking at how do I get started or how do I build on what I'm doing, I would say start with yourself, like commit yourself to um to doing this work, educating yourself. And as you, as you work on you, uh, you become somebody who influences others. Uh, that's, that's been my experience. And, um, you know, you show up in places where there, there's, uh, you know, maybe if you're a white person like me, then go visit a local, your local AME church, you know, go to worship there. Um, ask the pastor if you can go to lunch with them and build, just build a relationship. And it's long-term. It's not a one and done thing. You know, there's no one silver bullet on this. This is long-term work, generationally long work, right? Uh, we'll, we receive the baton from generations before us. We will pass it to generations after us. So I just think of it that way. Yeah. Those are things that come to my mind, Erwin. No, that's good. That's great. I have so many more questions, but I think this is a good time to end. Um, and hopefully we can have another conversation in a, in a month or so and continue to update the conference and update the listeners to the work of the public policy team. And thank you, David, for your time. If there's any way we can support you, any way, anything more that you need from the people listening to, to this, please let us know. And we'll be sure to share your contact information with everybody. And um, what, you have anything, last words you want to share? God bless you guys. I send, send prayers of blessing upon you. You are doing holy work. And it is work that Jesus is, is very present in the midst of. So you are not alone in it. And you have power greater than your own in the midst of the work, no matter how you're feeling today. So God bless you. God strengthen you.